As I mentioned last week, this show is proudly sponsored by Funky Trunks, one of the best brands in swimming you will find for training and racing togs, equipment, etc. Make sure you check out their latest ranges online at funkytrunks.com or follow them on Instagram for all the latest sales and updates. We'll be doing some exciting prize giveaways over the next few weeks, so make sure you stay tuned on our Off The Blocks Facebook and Instagram pages for how to win. Hi everyone and welcome to ep number four of Off The Block Swimming Podcast. Thank you very much for joining us. I'm your host, Robbie Cox. Massive show for you today. Australian swimming royalty and groundbreaker herself, Libby Trickett, is on to talk about her amazing career, life out of the pool, being a mum, being on radio, as well as her take on the Aussies Commonwealth Games performance in the pool. So get yourself settled in because my chat with the one and only Libby Trickett starts now. Away they go. No problems with the start. There is two 100s in the second in it. Gary Hall Jr., the extrovert, and Ian Thorpe battling it out down the pool. Thorpe is starting to go away from him. Oh, he's blowing him away now. Thorpe's gone more than a metre on Van der Nurken's hand. But the signature of all eyes is the great Phantom Butterfly, Susie O'Neill. He's coming back. Oh, he surely can't do it to him again. Chavis in the white hats, Dots in the black hats, and Dots is bullets. I cannot believe he's done that. Dots in front, Dots in the hall, Dots goes in. Australia win. Today on the show, we are joined by a champion of our sport. She competed in three Olympics spanning over 12 years, winning a gold medal in each of those games. She competed at four world championships over a story career, finishing with 15 medals in total, and that was just long course. She holds seven Commonwealth Games medals from Melbourne. She is a former five-time world record holder. In 2005, she was awarded the Order of Australian Medal for her contribution to swimming, and in 2016, she was inducted into the Sport Australia Hall of Fame. Ladies and gentlemen, Mrs. Libby Trickett. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Life looks a little bit different now, but yes, <laughs> thank you for reminding me of all those wonderful times in my life. <laughs> now, for all the listeners out there, we are coming to you today from Libby's house up here in Brisbane. Thank you very much for inviting me into your home. I mean, with a head like mine, you could have easily turned me away at the door, <laughs> um, but I appreciate it. So thank you very much. My pleasure. Um, I just want to start with that intro, and I asked Jess Shipper this the other day, when she came on the show. I mean, such an impressive list of accomplishments you racked up over your career. Mm. Do you ever see one of your medals lying around and just take a quiet moment to yourself to go, hey, I actually really did all that? Or is it full-on mum and life, uh, mum and wife life work now that, where it's not until a buffhead like me reads it all <laughs> out for you that you appreciate how good you really were in the pool? Yeah, it's so interesting. I guess as well with the Commonwealth Games having just been on, and starting to be able to talk to my um, two-and-a-half-year-old who's starting to get interested in sport and, you know, they talk about the Commonwealth Games at the yep. daycare and things like that, that you start to, I don't know, really reflect on it. Yep. And, you know, definitely having you come in and, <laughs> you know, spout all of my yeah, uh, yeah. achievements, you, you start to go, wow, that was... Well, it feels like a lifetime ago, especially yep. when I'm sitting here with my seven-week-old on yep. my lap um, while we're talking. You start to go far out. That just feels like a complete lifetime ago. But it's something, even at the time, I don't know that you fully comprehend and appreciate it. Yeah. And it really isn't until a few years later when when all of the emotion is out of it, you yeah. know, when all of those potential disappointments that you might have had or dreams that, you know, maybe you didn't quite get to yeah. during your career, once all of that sort of fallen away you can really start to go wow <laughs> I actually like it's something that I'm really proud of yeah and something that I um I guess have gotten more and more grateful for over the years as you should be um and we talked about Eddie just sitting there with you as a baby were you a water baby or did you start a bit later no I was a water baby um definitely I think um I think I learned to swim when I was one yeah um, and I mean, I grew up in Townsville in North Queensland and I'm the youngest of four kids. So you would have needed to swim up there. Very hot. Oh, it's so hot. You need <laughs> to be in the water yeah. at all times. Um, you know, just for safety, I guess. But yeah, started lessons, I think when I was one and even at around the same age, I was uh, like, I would watch my older sisters and brother doing their swim lessons 
and I'd try and copy what they were doing in the baby pool. So I just, I loved swimming. I loved being in the water. I joined my first club when I was four years old. And I think probably from the moment that I had my very first club, club night race, which was a 25 meters breaststroke, and I hate breaststroke. But as soon as I had my first <laughs> taste of competition, yeah. I, I was completely hooked on the sport. But having said that, I, you know, I dabbled in lots of sports growing up, but swimming was the sort of one true love, I guess. The mainstay. Yeah. Were you a natural? Yes. Um, not to the levels of some people that I know. Like, there is, I think there are degrees of natural talent. Um, uh, and certainly, you know, there are some people that, you know, I was on the Australian team with that you just, they just reeked of talent. It's, yeah. You know, they were born to swim, basically. Um, but I was on the spectrum towards natural talent, you know, butterfly came very naturally to me, um, freestyle as well. Um, but I think more than anything that came naturally was competition, just the, the desire to do better and be faster. Um, that was something that came very naturally to me. The desire to train, (laughs) that took a little bit longer. (laughs) I don't think you're alone. No, exactly. Uh, when did you start to take swimming a little more seriously? Um, so I made my, uh, first state, um, like Queensland States when I was probably, I think eight. Um, so pretty young. Um, but yeah, I, it was always competition that drew me to swimming and the desire to go faster, the love of being in the water and seeing how fast my body could go through it. That's something that made me really excited. Um, but it really probably wasn't until I, um, I was 14 and I, it was at another state title. So I'd made states consistently during that time um, and never sort of went to the next level until, yeah, at the age of 14, it was the first year since I was eight that I didn't make a final at states. All the girls were training so much harder than me. They were, yeah. they were progressing. Their bodies were physically developing. And I was just sort of really stagnant. And so I missed all finals that year. And I distinctly remember driving home from Chandler um, after the States had finished and I was bawling my eyes out. I was so disappointed in my performances. Yeah. I was so disappointed in myself because I just, I kind of felt like I knew that I was capable of more and yeah. that really frustrated me and obviously upset me. And um, in that moment, because my mum hated, hated seeing me upset, she just said, okay, why don't we just quit swimming, we'll move on, Um, I hate seeing you so upset. And in the very precocious teenage girl way, I basically said in no uncertain terms that I wasn't going to quit swimming. I loved it too much to stop, Um, but I wasn't content, I wasn't happy with my performances. So in my mind, I guess I, I went, how do I improve that? And at that stage it was all about training harder because the girls that I was competing against were training exceptionally hard and I just wasn't. (laughs) It was a light bulb moment I guess. Absolutely it was that real sort of fork in the road moment I guess where you go I can either stop or I can do things differently and I chose to do things differently at that stage. Now you're known for being super fast in butterfly and freestyle but have you always been fast in just those, or I mean, backstroke as you grow, as you grew up? Yeah, so I did a little bit of backstroke. I dabbled. Um, I think I got third at nationals in the fifty backstroke. Um, a bit of trivia. <laughs> yeah, that would have been like <laughs> a million years ago. But um, I think actually one of my first state medals was in the fifty backstroke. Breaststroke, I was always shocking at. Yeah. Oh, terrible! Like I can't swim breaststroke to save myself. Um, but yeah, I think. To be honest, Butterfly was the first one that, that I really started to show some talent in. And then Freestyle just came on in leaps and bounds at around 15, 16. So. Yeah. Um, all right, I'm going to go through a few bad habits okay. that a lot of younger <laughs> swimmers have as they're coming through the junior programs. And I just want you to tell me whether these apply to you as you are coming through. Feet on the bottom of the pool during uh, laps. Uh, no, not during laps, but during sets, definitely. Yeah. I would hang on the end of the wall for sure. <laughs> uh, conveniently miscounting laps and finishing sooner than you should have. Yes, but I don't know that I ever got away with that. <laughs> I definitely tried though. <laughs> uh, pulling on the lane ropes in backstroke. Always. 
I don't think I've met anyone that hasn't. Well, unless you're a backstroker. But even backstrokers would do it. I yeah, think. they do it. If you pay attention closely <laughs> yeah, enough, you'd normally it. catch them. Yeah. Um, always fixing your goggles. No, that probably wasn't one of my habits. No. And doing arms in a kick set. No, I was pretty good with kick sets. I was um, pretty, I guess, anal about getting to the wall and not, you know, sort of pulling the last few strokes in, definitely. And so it helps that you're a very strong kicker. Yes. Oh, (laughs) you know what? I wasn't, though. That was one of my weaknesses. Yeah. My my big strength has always been my upper body strength, so I've had to sort of really work on my lower body strength, and that was one of the keys to doing that. Australian Age Championships are on at the moment down in Sydney. And for a lot of swimmers, this may be their first ever nationals. Mm. Take us back to your first ever nationals. How old were you? I was 15. So, yes, I had that really um, light bulb moment at 14 um, when I hadn't progressed. I I missed all the finals. And so instead of quitting, I decided to train harder. And at first that was just training harder within the sessions because I was pretty well known as a bludger in my (laughs) squad. Um, They called me Libby the Lobster. Because I just hang off the wall or miss laps by going to the toilet in inverted commas and actually just having a shower for mm. fifteen minutes. Oh, you have just described about two or three of my swimmers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's a lot of you know young junior swimmers yeah. coming through. Um, uh, yeah, so um, it, between the ages of fourteen and fifteen, I just started training. I didn't actually add that many sessions. I pro- I don't know that I added any sessions, but I um. I started training harder within the sessions. I stopped missing laps. Um, I started really listening to the coach, surprisingly, and um, trying to understand what the purpose of that particular set was. And, um, yeah, at 15, I managed to qualify for my first age nationals and, um, yeah, competed in the 100 butterfly and the 100 freestyle, I think. so. How were the nerves lining up for your first swim? (laughs) Probably terrifying is an understatement. <laughs> I um, and it was classic meme. When my nerves um, get really high, I um, uh, I just completely forget my race process and what I'm actually trying to do. And so, in the hundred butterfly, which was probably my preferred event at the time, um, I went out so hard. I w- I reckon I was leading the race until. 92 meters <laughs> and then i ended up coming fifth and then so, they swamped you. oh like yeah again swamped is probably an understatement <laughs> but yeah completely swam over and um yeah but that that was cl- kind of classic me in the midst of all the nerves but it was such a good experience and i just loved it did you learn from that how did your other races go I got 13th in the 100 freestyle, so I didn't make the final there. But again, at the time, probably Butterfly was my my yeah. main event. Um, yeah, so I think it, um, if nothing else, it really just sparked the desire to go even faster and train even harder mm-hmm. to see what I was capable of. Because I, the fact that I was able to lead a race for 92 metres, <laughs> um, even though I came fifth, was something that really excited me. It was about 90 metres longer than I ever led a race, so <laughs> congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Um, mate, body image is such a big thing for our younger mm. swimmers uh, coming through, more so for girls, but we're seeing it a lot more with boys at the moment, yeah. especially just wanting to be a bit bigger and look a certain way. Yeah. And it's hard in our sport, obviously, uh, to be body conscious with people always in togs. Yes. Was that something that you went through as a young athlete and what advice would you have to those yeah, yeah. That I mean, that's such a hard thing because, especially uh, with swimming, you start very young and you go through. You're probably going to go through puberty um, in front of everyone. Everyone, um, and that's really daunting, especially for young women who might develop breasts or you know have um, accumulation of fat in different areas. And so, you know, for one season, you might be one certain body type, and then the next season, you're a completely different body type. Mm. I think the a combination of things, you know, in the athlete mentality, you need to be able to shift with your new body, um, which is something that I think a lot of coaches aren't good at at this stage um, and do need to be really aware of because particularly with young females, their bodies change and yeah. you need to be able to adapt and change with that. Um, uh, for, the, for the young girls who are going through the, those moments, it's hard. Mm. Um, I mean, I probably... I was quite lean for a swimmer. Uh, well, 
sorry, between the ages of 14 and 15 when I decided that swimming was something that yeah. I wanted to take more seriously, I lost about seven kilos, I think, which was a combination of things. Mm. My mum was a single parent and, you know, was struggling to sort of keep us all going, all yeah. four of us, and so a lot of dinners were McDonald's and KFC, and at 14 I sort of went to her, hey, probably should cut that out a little bit. And, um, yeah, reduced sort of that sort of junk food intake a little bit, not ridiculously, but um, a little bit. And I naturally lost about seven kilos just in that that year. Um, And then from then on, I I was quite a lean swimmer, um, very muscular for a girl. And so the the body image that I had to face was, you know, boys calling me butch and that I looked like a man. Yeah. and that's really confronting, especially at that age when you're wanting boys to like you. And, yeah. You know, you're wanting to sort of fit in and yeah. be normal. Yeah. Again, in inverted commas. I always think, what is what is normal, though? And, and that's exactly right. Yeah. And unfortunately for, you know, young kids coming through, they don't understand that there is such a broad definition of normal. Mm. Um, yeah. Your body is normal. Whatever body you have is normal. And it's your body. And the aim as an athlete is to make it the best that it can possibly be. And, um, yeah, it is confronting though. Uh, And uh, it's such a hard thing to navigate. But I think if anyone is having issues with body image, just to start to talk either to the family, um, to friends, uh, ideally to be able to talk to their coaches as well is a really important thing. Which is difficult, I guess, at times. I mean, I coach a lot of girls, so being a a male coach, it's not always easy for them to come up and have a chat. Exactly. And uh, unfortunately, um, with coaches as well, especially male coaches, they don't necessarily know how to navigate that. Um, and they talk to their girl athletes as athletes as opposed to young girls. Yeah. Um, so they might say, we need to lose body fat, um, which is a very normal, reasonable yeah. thing to yeah. talk about as an athlete. But as a young girl, you go, well, I'm fat. That means that I'm fat and <laughs> yeah. that means that I'm worthless on some level. Yeah. And I think if I can say anything to the young girls coming through is that that is 100% not the case. Yeah. Um, you... Uh, so important and so valued and the reflection of how much body fat you have or not um, it doesn't affect your self-worth or it shouldn't affect your self-worth was it hard transitioning from a junior athlete into an elite athlete we've just talked about obviously transitioning from being on the fringes to then making nationals Mm. how did you go the next step up yeah so um uh, sort of that 15 16 um years time period 17 as well um, I just started to keep progressing. I, you know, I started originally with just training harder within the sessions and then sort of started to add a few sessions. Um, and at 16, I made my first Open Nationals. Yeah. And then, um, again, started to keep going, uh, working harder, training harder, racing better. Um, and then at 17, my first youth team. And uh, it was at, at Nationals in 2002 when... Um, one of my sort of squad mates came up to me and I'd just made a final. I'd just, I think I got fifth in the 50 fly and the 50 free that year, um, which allowed for my selection into the youth team. And it was after that nationals that a, a teammate came up to me and said, wow, I just didn't realise you were that good at swimming. <laughs> <laughs> and I think because they had the, the squad yeah. and, you know, the people that I was training with kind of had that expectation that I was a real bludger. Yeah. And even though I, I know that I was starting to work harder and I know I was starting yeah. to do better, they sort of still had that same expectation of me. And yeah. so in that period of time, I decided I probably needed to change coaches, to change environments, to have a coach and a squad that didn't know me and therefore... Didn't have a preconceived they didn't have idea. A preconceived, yeah. yeah, exactly right. It didn't have a preconceived idea of who I was and what sort of trainer I was and someone who was going to make me take responsibility yeah. for my swimming. Um, which is what I really wanted, um, which was terrifying, <laughs> um, completely terrifying because it's also putting yourself out there. Like it's, you know, you're going to shift coaches and you're going to train a hundred percent. If you don't succeed, then yeah. you just weren't good enough. So well, it's also, kind of, yeah, I guess now failure is an option. Whereas yes. before when you just sort of yeah. milling around, not really putting all your effort into it, it didn't really matter. No, cause you know that you yeah, weren't trying hard exactly. enough. 
So that was really scary, but it was the best decision for my swimming, and that was the year. Um, so well, it turned we, out well for you. Oh, amazing. Oh, amazing. And I think the thing for me in making that decision, I didn't want to not know. Yeah. Like, I would rather try and fail rather than not try at all. Absolutely. Um, and, yeah, tra- changing coaches to Stefan Widmar um, in October that year was, yeah, without a doubt, the best decision of my swimming career. 2003 was a breakout year for you. You had a great Australian Championships and you made the world team for Barcelona. What was that experience like, your first trip? Incredible. Oh, it was amazing. Again, you just learn so much, I think, during that period of time. I think I was probably still a bit in shock that I was capable of doing that um, because I'd only been with my new program for about six months. And I reckon three weeks in, um, Stefan said to me... Uh, in 12 months' time, you won't recognise your swimming career. Like, it, you're on a sort of path that could be um, pretty remarkable. How'd you take that? <laughs> I was like, yeah, whatever, you crazy Swiss man. You have no idea what you're talking about. Um, and, yeah, within six months, I'd made my first national team, um, came away with two bronze medals uh, at that meet, uh, I think I dropped about three seconds in my 100 freestyle personal best at nationals to qualify. Um, and then within uh, 12, oh, no, 18 months, I'd broken my first world record um, in the 100 freestyle. Um, so, yeah, it was, pretty, it was a pretty crazy period of time because I had also decided to take the year off study. So um, I'd finished grade 12 in 2002 and then decided to not go straight into studying at university just to kind of terrifyingly put all my eggs in one basket. Yeah, going all in. Yeah. And, um, yeah, again, that was, a, I think, a good decision for me at that stage. Did you learn anything about yourself on that trip that you didn't already know? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think I started to really understand the power of the mind. Um, I actually was quite sick in Barcelona. I had bronchitis. Um, and was suffering quite badly with asthma during that time um, because that is something that sort of would flare from time to time during my swimming career. I was very lucky with injuries, um, but uh, asthma and and, uh, sort of respiratory illnesses I had a lot of. Um, So, yeah, I was really, uh, I guess, scared before some of my races about how I would actually go. Mm. Um, But... I developed during that period of time a, um, what Stefan and I would call a power phrase, totally lame, <laughs> totally lame title, but it was my power phrase. And um, I would repeat that power phrase before my, uh, before my races to keep the negative thoughts out of my head. And yeah, I managed to walk away with a bronze in the 4x1 and a bronze in the 50 freestyle. So Big names on that team. Did anyone take you under your wing and look after you? I know Jess said there's the the rookie program where the older athletes look after you? Yeah, yeah, we had the rookie program, which was great. Um, so many amazing women on that team, you know, Patria, um, or no, Patria wasn't on that team. No, yes, she, yeah, no, she wasn't. <laughs> I get so confused. It's the sleep deprivation, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I swear. It's okay. Um, but, you know, uh, Elka Graham, uh, Gian Rooney, just all these amazing women who, you know, I looked up to. Yeah. And were so welcoming and kind. Um, Do you remember your roomie? Yeah, Melissa Morgan, uh, backstroker back in the day. Um, she was lovely. There were so many amazing swimmers on that team. But to be honest, that I think the the person who always stands out in my mind, and I felt like he took me under his wing and became like a big brother, was Matt Welsh. Yeah. Um, particularly at, even before uh, Worlds in 2003, the Jewel in the Pool in 2003 was my very first sort of overseas team with a, you know, um, sort of national level, um, a national level, I should say. Um, and he, just during that experience, he just really took me under his wing and you just felt like you could talk to him about anything, even though there's, you know, a little bit of an age difference. Yeah. But he, um, yeah, was really lovely and supportive. Like a big brother. Totally like a big brother. And he was, yeah, amazing. So... This was just the beginning of a massive international career for you over the next four years, 2004 to 2007. I'm going to go through the list here. (laughs) You competed at the Athens Olympics, Indianapolis World Short Course Champs, Montreal Long Course Champs, Shanghai World Short Course Champs, the Commonwealth Games in Melbourne and the World Champs in Mm. Melbourne. 
Um, and I could go through a list of all the medals that you collected along the way, but I'd need another two pages <laughs> and the budget didn't stretch that far, sorry. <laughs> <That's all right. laughs> um, of those meets that I've just read out, mm. just give me a few of your favourite memories. Ooh, okay. Um, well, Athens is easy. Um, the 4 by one freestyle gold medal, first day, first Olympics, um, first race, yeah. And we came away with a gold medal and a world record. Um, at 19 years of age, I don't think it could get much better than that. Mm. And then to share it with um, Alice Mills, well, Alice Tate now, um, who's still one of my closest friends, um, Jodie Henry, who, you know, was amazing at that meet and was an exceptional competitor for yeah. me. And Patria Thomas, who's someone I idolised um, at her final Olympic Games, was yeah. just... I mean, it gives me goosebumps just thinking about it. Um, It's a pretty strong team. Yeah, it was amazing. And getting to share the medal dais and to sing our national anthem was awesome. But it was a real learning curve as well, um, missing the Hunter Freestyle final. Um, uh, Anyway, uh, next meet. (laughs) um, Oh, yeah, I mean, the World Short Course was awesome because that was kind of a reminder for me that I was on the right path and that I was really still progressing uh 2005 at montreal was kind of my first international gold medal in the 50 freestyle um as well as getting to do other events like the four by two relay um coming second to jess in the hundred fly was awesome because it was my first opportunity to kind of race that i guess um at the level that level and um yeah and then 2006 getting to race in front of a home crowd in melbourne was unbelievable uh so that's a massive highlight and then world short course that year um the four by two relay was a real standout for me because again that was not a an event that i did that came naturally yeah to me um but i was able to um swim over the chinese swimmer <laughs> um in the final sort of 10 meters yeah and that was an unbelievable moment because they thought they had won and it was in China and Shanghai so the crowd was going absolutely ballistic and then I touched the wall first and you could hear a pin drop because it just went so quiet they couldn't believe that they'd come second so that was awesome Um, but then probably my of all the meets like as a a meet in its entirety the 2007 Melbourne World Championships was you know I mean, to come away with five gold medals, including three individual gold medals, yeah. was, um, yeah, it was amazing. And then a couple of days later, I got to race Michael Phelps. And then a couple of days after that, I got married. So in terms of a two-week period of <laughs> so time in my life... That was a good life, year for you. Yes. That was a good <laughs> month for me, I guess. Now, you've led me into it. A favourite memory of mine was watching you in 2007, Jewel in the Pool, where you took on... Uh, the Aussie team took on the US, led by Michael Phelps. Yes. And I was lucky enough to be in the stands that night. I oh, took a group of, of awesome. young swimmers and we had a ball. The yeah. stands were packed. It was a great night. Um, now, before I get to the big swim, I heard a rumour that in marshalling before the 4 by 100 <laughs> relay, you were trying to intimidate Michael Phelps, <laughs> which I, but, I mean, he's one of the greatest swimmers of all time. Yep. Yeah. So you tried to put him off his game. Is there any truth to that? Yeah, it's 100% true. <laughs> Because he, you have to understand, he had just come off the World Championships, which to date, that at that stage, was his best event that he'd done. Um, you know, he was in his prime. Like, he was about to go into Beijing and, you know, absolutely obliterate it and win eight whatever gold medals. Um, and, yeah, so, he, like, there was no way that I was going to beat him. But I thought I was being hilarious um, by trash-talking him. Yeah. And basically saying, you got nothing, Michael. I mean, you come away with so many gold medals in 2007. Whatever, man. <laughs> I've got you. I'm going to own you. And um, I don't know whether it was my delivery or maybe his American sense of humour. Yeah. I don't know that he got that I was joking. <laughs> and he seemed more pissed off than yeah. anything. Um, but he ended up. Smashing it, I think he went like forty-seven point, which at the time was you know amazing, um, especially being not one of his main events. Yeah. Um, but it, I think it, that mood and that sort of lightheartedness really contributed to my performance that night, which was 
yeah, I mean, to be able to say that I was racing Michael Phelps at the, you know, in his prime and to do, you know, such a great PB and a great time was, yeah, yeah awesome. Yeah, you come out, you lead the Aussie team off mm. against Michael Phelps. Must have been a pretty cool moment, though, for you because, I mean, that doesn't get to happen in swimming very often, the no. boys versus the girls. Well, no, I mean, they've started to introduce mixed relays yeah. now, which is really exciting to see because I think it is um, something really exciting to watch. Um, especially how they they handle the the structure and you know the I guess the order of performance. Mm. But yeah, for me to be able to lead off, um, yeah, it was absolutely awesome. I, and like you said, the the crowd was incredible. You know, we just hosted the Melbourne World Championships, so I think yeah. swimming was really in the forefront of people's minds. Yeah. So yeah, it was really fun. And you went fifty two nine nine. Yes, the crowd went wild, me included. Because you had just become the first woman to go under 53 seconds for the 100 freestyle, mm. however, it is then realised that the time cannot be used as an official time yeah. because the mixed relay wasn't recognised by FINA. Mm. Talk to me about the roller coaster of emotions between breaking the world record and then having it taken away. Yeah, it was full on. I think, you know, looking back on it now, you, you, you're not as caught up in the emotion, but at the time, um, you know... Britta Stefan had broken um, the world record and got it back into Germany. And um, so to go not only, I mean, it was a quite a fast, uh, I guess, quite a prominent PB for me at the time. And then to be the first woman to break the 53-second barrier was amazing. I think the thing that upset me the most... I guess, was that people thought that I had advantage by swimming in Michael Phelps's wake, I guess. Mm. And that pissed me off because <laughs> I'm like, I, I mean, I might have gotten a hint of a, a hint of a help yeah. a, advantage going into the 50 metre turn, but yeah. off the wall, yeah. I was... Well, as you said, it. he went 47. Yeah, he, he was five seconds ahead of me, or almost six seconds ahead mm. of me. So I was copping his waves coming home. So, um, yeah, I guess it's kind of that almost that feeling that people were questioning your ability, yeah. almost like you were cheating mm. on some level. Yeah. Um, so that really pissed me off. But at the same time, well, so two things. Uh, I knew that I could go that time. Yeah. So it gave me confidence mm. to know that I could go that time. So I spent the next 12 months working my butt off yeah. to prove that I could do that. Um, and I guess, uh, now I've completely lost the second, <laughs> the second thing, but it, you know, just to have, um, that fire, I guess that's, you know, sort of comes into play when people question your abilities, yeah. um, to, to be able to prove people wrong is yeah. a very powerful driver. Not always, you shouldn't always use that as a driver, yeah. but it, it really worked in that. that well, different, different things for different people isn't it yeah I guess. and at different times yeah. you know that that sort of anger and frustration can be used for very specific mm. things i yeah. think um but if you live in that space it can be really debilitating as mm. well so a year later the olympic trials you get britta stefan's record and you go 52.88 yes that was the thing i was worried that someone else would break 53 oh. before me <laughs> and that's something that i was i didn't want to happen yeah. i wanted to be the first, the first. one yeah. to officially break the 53 second well, barrier yes <laughs> thank goodness <laughs> um, and as if that wasn't enough you became the first woman to go under 24 seconds for the yeah. 50 freestyle 23.97 that must have been a pretty surreal feeling for you yeah, it was amazing. Um, there's, you know, there's something that's really powerful about winning medals and, you know, they can't take Olympic medals away from you and all of those sorts of things. But um, there's something really fun about breaking records mm. and being the first to break barriers. Yeah. Um, that's, that's really, I don't know, I guess on some level one of the things that really drove me and one of the things that's still now annoys me about my swimming career was that I wasn't able to break the 51 second mark for the 100 metres freestyle and short course. Yeah. Um, I was 5101. I was so close. <laughs> but, um, you know, that's something that I yeah. go, oh, I wish I could have done that. Um, but, yeah, breaking barriers is something that's really fun mm. and kind of enticing and, yeah, it gives you a real joy to be able to, to, to do that. And as well, you know, world records. You're the fastest in the world ever at that mm. point in time and that's amazing like to yeah it's kind of hard to 
process that and comprehend that, I yeah. guess. Um, you must have felt pretty proud of those times still till today because, as I said to you earlier, those times still get your medals at the Commonwealth Games that have just passed. Yeah, that's crazy to think that those times that I was doing nine years ago. um, That's crazy. Uh, Awesome, you know, you kind of makes you really proud of what you're able to achieve Mm. and and how amazing your body is to be able to do those things. Um, On some level, you kind of hope that, you know, the sport had progressed a little bit more. But at the same time, you kind of go, yeah, go me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, after Beijing Olympics, you decide to leave Brisbane, change mm. coaches from Stefan Widmar and head to Sydney with Amos Sullivan's coach, Grant Stolwinder, mm-hmm. which was a big move, not just, I guess, program-wise, but in your life. Yeah. How did that decision come about? Um, I, I wasn't sure whether I was going to keep swimming um, in Beijing, after Beijing, I should say. Um, it wasn't the fairy tale that I wanted. It wasn't exactly what I had hoped to achieve. And sort of the thing for me was I really wanted to finish on a high, um, which I don't know why at the time I didn't consider that to be a high, Um, but I think I I felt like I had unfinished business and um, it took me a while to make the decision to keep swimming and um, Jess probably doesn't even know this, um, but Jess was moving to Stefan. And she was such a fierce competitor for me. And I wasn't sure how I would be able to deal with having such a close competitor in the same training Mm. environment. Um, Because at the time, you're like I I keep coming back to, you're so in the emotion and you're so in the fierceness of competition that it can be really hard to sort of disconnect. Mm. And Jess is the most lovely person (laughs) you will ever meet. Like, she's so... um, she's so sweet and like literally I butter wouldn't melt in her mouth she's just very sort of um quiet and withdrawn and sort of keeps to herself but is hilarious and really kind but for some reason I just didn't know how I would manage that um so you know because I hadn't I decided to come back um I thought maybe it was worth trying a different program because I'd only ever swum with Stefan so there's there's kind of that pull to see if you could do well yeah. in a, another program um, as, a, as a, you know, sort of an adult athlete, um, a mature age athlete. Because as well, Stefan and I had started to have um, moments where I had wanted to start taking more control um, in my swimming, but yeah. he, I felt like he, at that stage, was still very much, he wanted to do it his way mm. um, because I think he was learning how to deal with mature age swimmers which you know as mature age swimmers we start to think that we know more than the coach for some reason um yeah so anyway I decided to go to Sydney which is where my husband's from um and try it out with a a different squad um to you know to be able to train with the amazing guys that were there you know Eamon Sullivan who is someone who does my exact events Andrew Lauderstein who does um 100 Butterfly and he did a bit of backstroke as well um and Jeff Hugel and Matt Abood and um, Andrew Abood, these young guys coming through, um, Garth Cates. And then also we um, trained a little bit with Therese Alshamar, who was uh, amazing, or who is and was an amazing swimmer. Um, yeah, so I, I got these amazing opportunities to travel around the mm. world and be a very professional squad. Yeah. So that was, yeah, a good environment for me. It was uh, challenging. It had its own challenges being basically the only female the majority of the time dealing with lots of boys (laughs) Um, so that was challenging it was challenging to be in Sydney away from my support Mm. group Um, and then that was the whole super suit era as well so that was there was a lot of challenges during that period of time but yeah I think um, I think it was a good move I think I needed to to sort of try my hand challenge yourself challenge myself exactly in a different environment yeah 2009, you retire from swimming. Couldn't have been an easy decision to make, given mm. how much you do love the sport. And even just chatting to you now, I can still see how much you love the sport yeah. and the success that you had. What made you want to stop competing at that stage? I was burnt out. Um, more than anything, I was burnt out. You know, swimming, you start at such a young age. And I was a late developer. Like, I was sort of starting to take my swimming seriously a lot later than most 
to yeah. it. It's like something that I always say, you know, I started training 10 sessions a week at the age of 17. Liesl Jones was doing that at 10, you know. So in a lot of ways, I was a late bloomer. Mm. Um, but I was burnt out. I think the super suit saga sort of made me a bit bitter about the sport in yeah. some ways because the things that the super suit was able to give a lot of my competitors were things that happened because I really worked yeah. my butt off yeah. for it. Um, they were my strengths that I had specifically worked on to be my strengths and something that I had an advantage over other athletes. And, you know, here these suits came in and it felt like that was completely taken away. Mm. Um, but also I think during my entire swimming career, I've always wanted to see who I was outside of the sport. Um, you know, I, I tried to pride myself on the fact that I had other things that I was doing. You know, I wasn't just Libby Trickett, the swimmer, or Libby Lenton, the swimmer. I was, you know, also studying part-time, you know, had dogs and family and all of these things that were really important to me. Um, so on some level I felt like I was ready to see what the world yeah, had. Move on? Yeah, to move on and see what the world had in store for me. It wasn't necessarily... <laughs> <laughs> like, on, on reflection, I'm a very all-or-nothing person, yeah. so I felt like the only decision could have been retiring. Um Maybe if I had the knowledge that I know now, I would have taken a break, like a lot of swimmers do, like Kate Campbell did last year, yeah. Lisa Jones did in 2009. Um, but on this, in the same breath, I, I know that that experience has helped me so much mm. as the person I am today. Yeah. So I, I don't know that I do regret it that much. Yeah. Um, a year later, you're back. <laughs> I think I had 11 months retired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to say that. I wanted to make it a year. Um, and you announced that you want to go to the 2012 London Olympics. Mm. What changed in your life over that year to make you want it again? Um, I, I, I went through a really dark place. I went through a period of depression, for sure. Um, a couple of reasons... I. One of the big ones was I stopped exercising completely. So a lot of athletes, I think, uh, you know, finish their sport. And because you've been training 35 hours a week for the last 10 years, mm -hmm. essentially, you go through a period of rebellion and you kind of want to eat whatever the hell you want, not think about that stuff. You don't want to sleep in and, yeah, completely reject exercise. Um, which is what I did, and I put on 10 kilos very quickly during that 11 months. Um, but as well, I think I couldn't work out who I was outside of the sport, yeah. even though I had prided myself as knowing that I wasn't just a swimmer. In practice, it was a, a much more challenging experience, yeah. and to separate myself from the athlete that was a swimmer to who I was outside of the mm. sport was really confronting and I had a massive loss of identity I didn't know what I wanted to do outside of swimming yeah. I didn't have a passion outside of swimming I didn't have structure I didn't have tangible goals that I was working towards and all of these things were something that I just loved about the sport mm. so for me really to get out of that really dark depressive period I needed my comfort zone again I needed to do to the back. thing I needed to do the things that I knew what to do I knew the process I knew I set a goal and I do this this amount of work and I'm going to get these results um it d definitely didn't come that easily um in the, in that process but I just I knew what I was doing and I knew myself as a swimmer and that, did you get your confidence back um confidence uh, came and went but I I loved the structure and I loved being in the bubble again yeah. and I think that was the most important thing in that period of time. And most importantly, I was exercising um, more than anything. And that really, um, I think, had a very positive effect on my mental health. Was it hard to get back to the lifestyle? I mean, so um, even for someone like me, I love my cheese and bacon rolls in the yeah. morning. I have too many coffees. I have all totally. of these things that... I know I shouldn't be having and then I'll say I'll start tomorrow yeah. and then tomorrow turns into next week. Yeah, I think once I flipped, flipped the switch um, and went, no, this is what I'm doing, the, like, the actual decision was difficult and probably took a few weeks or months even. Um, 
But once I made that decision, I was good. Yeah. Uh, you know, obviously in practice, there's lots of things that you have to do. And, you know, I'd put 10 kilos on during that period of time, which means that your metabolism can slow. You have all of these things that I never had to deal with. Mm. You know, I mentioned at the start that I was a very lean athlete. I could think about losing body fat and I would lose body fat. Uh, so it all came quite naturally to me, whereas um, coming back and having ha- gained that weight, it was a lot more challenging to actually um, to lose the weight and you know, had to think a lot more consciously about what I was putting in my body, how I was feeling it. And so, um, and you know, I wasn't good at the same things that I was good at, you know. I had to learn how to be good at kicking again. Oh God, the kick sets that I would, I wasn't making like two minute kick sets, you know, for a hundred meters, like kicking it. And I was like, did I actually go to an Olympic Games? Was I actually good at swimming at one point? Um, but I think that I'm, I can be a very intense and very competitive person. Yeah. So that sort of um, almost just inspired me and, and sort of pushed me further. Mm. But it was a much more difficult experience the second time around. You narrowly missed the spot for the uh, 100 fly. You mm. finished third. Yep. Um, how'd that feel? It was, it was so hard. Like, um, cause like I said, like competing was my thing. Yeah. Um, so to just miss was on one level motivating because I went, well, I got third after, you know, spending time out of the sport. Um, you know, on some, on a lot of levels, I was doing much better than the other comeback kids that were coming back that year. Um, so I was motivated and I felt like I had a much better opportunity in the freestyle for some reason, even though the Campbells were there at the time and, you know, Mel Schlanger and all these amazing athletes, Alicia Coots. Um, yeah, so I, I kind of, I felt like I could um, give more in the freestyle. But, yeah, to, to have um, been selected that night in the 100 fly, I feel like, probably would have had a really positive effect for me for the rest of the meet um but you know just missing out made it hard but then you know the rest of the meet I think went exactly as it was meant to yeah (laughs) yeah well you book your spot on the team with the four by 100 freestyle relay was was making that team validation to you that you'd made the right decision to come back it was the most um intense joy I think probably the most real authentic joy because I think when you've had space from the sport you recognize how how actually hard it is to make the team and especially coming third in the hunter fly you you start to really appreciate the achievements that you do have even though they might not be exactly as you dreamed them to be um do you take it for granted a little bit when you're humming along totally oh totally it's always the next thing you know okay I've done that now what do I do next And so it can be challenging when, you know, things don't go to plan. But, yeah, I think fifth was not the dream. (laughs) Yeah. Fifth wasn't the dream. I wanted an individual spot for sure. Um, But in the same breath, you go, I can't believe I'm back here. I've made my third Olympic team and that was was the ultimate goal for me. Now, I could probably do a whole other podcast on talking about the 2012 yep. London Olympics and what went on there within the team, mm-hmm. but I'll keep you in the clear. Cool. And I'll just ask about how your, you. <laughs> how your London Olympics experience was. Yeah, it was different. Um, again, I, I got to swim in the heats and that was a wonderful experience, but I wanted to be in the final team. And so that was um, very challenging and very confronting and... Um, my Olympic campaign was over in the first morning of competition. So, you know, that was quite a lot to process. Um, But again, I mean, at the time I would have given anything to be a part of that final team. Um, But with the passage of time and being able to reflect and being, hindsight. yeah, hindsight and being able to be a bit more mature and again, not caught up in the emotion of the moment. I don't think I could have, uh, I'm glad it happened the way that it did because it, 
shifted how I think about life and how I think about my achievements. And I think that's something that I really value now. Um, You know, as a 33-year-old who's been five years retired, um, you know, you wish you could have had something different, a different outcome, but at the same time, it it teaches you things about yourself that success doesn't teach you. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned... London and, mm. the, and the experiences there. If the Libby Trickett from London could go back to Athens mm. and speak to yourself then, what advice would you have given yourself? Oh, that sport is a game, you know. It's, it's something that you love and you work your butt off for it and you're trying to do and achieve these things, but you need to have perspective. And I wish so much that I could go back with the knowledge that I have now and be in that 19-year-old body um, but unfortunately you can't and yeah so it's it's that sort of hard um thing to deal with now because you kind of wish that you could come back now but physically you're probably not as capable as you were when you're 19 20 21 um but you wish you had that perspective and that understanding of the bigger picture yeah yeah now still so much to cover with you as far as life (laughs) after swimming will you join us again next week for another chat i'd love to Excellent. So you heard it here first, everyone. We'll be joining us again next week on Off the Blocks as we continue our chat about being a mum, transitioning from training and competing into normal everyday life, being on radio, Mm. as well as her thoughts on current hot topics within swimming. You will not want to miss it. Until next week, from me and Libby here in Brisbane, it's bye for now. Away they go. No problems with the start. There is two 100s in the second in it. Gary Hall Jr., the extrovert, and Ian Thorpe battling it out down the pool. Thorpe is starting to go away from him. Oh, he's blowing him away now. Thorpe's gone more than a metre on Van der Nuyen's hand. But the signature of all eyes is the great Madam Butterfly, Susie O'Neill. Oh, he's coming back. Oh, he surely can't do it to him again. Chavis in the white hats, Phelps in the black hats, and Phelps has got it. I cannot believe he's done that. Thorpe to Thorpe. Thorpe.